I don't know if this is appropriate or not, but I'm going to give it a whirl here. I, I don't know, West Liberty, you know, you, you aren't known as a megapolis. But what you just pulled off with the video and with the songs and every Lance d- does a great job. Can we just applaud Lance for what he does? It's incredible. It's just, it's just amazing. So thank you, and we appreciate it so much, what you do. Especially me, I just hope that as a result of complimenting him, he'll take 10 pounds off when the camera is being, <laughs> being shot. I don't know about you, but whenever I come into a church and I see in the bulletin and I look at the title of the sermon, I try to kind of guess and think, well, I wonder what it's going to be about. When you see the title, The Best Place, perhaps some of you thought, well, this could be a sermon about heaven. Or still, others of you thought, wow, this is going to be a long sermon because there's no way in 40 minutes he can describe Grace Chapel in West Liberty, Ohio. (laughs) But what we're talking about is a place where God is. We're talking about God being present. And the best place is being in the presence of God. We are pilgrims. We are travelers. Uh, Whether we acknowledge it or not, it's a reality. Because as believers, we have come to a place in our relationship where we are engaged to a person whose great wedding will take place in another place in heaven. We are moving from this world to the next world. And the best place is to be with him. And as pilgrims, we are moving to that place. And if you take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 84, uh, we will share together what it is and what is involved in being in that best place. I think the author of this is David. And I think that might become clear at the end. Not everyone agrees that it's David, but many do. And what is happening here is there is this expectation and there is this delight that comes to life from out of this text. It is this sense of this person, the author, who is just pressing and hoping to be in the presence of God. Now, as a school teacher, I can't help but assign homework, right? Psalm 84 is companion to Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. So when you want something to read this week, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are are companions to Psalm 84 and will help give you that same sense of delight and joy and pursuit to get into the presence of God and to be where he is. This pilgrim, David, and even ourselves, we are declaring or we are expressing the blessedness of faith in God that leads to so many wonderful things. So the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to look at the heart's ambition. The heart's ambition. Now David in Psalm 84, what he does is he says the soul, so I'm using heart and soul synonymously. It's the same idea. The heart is where all decisions are made. It's where the will and the emotions and the knowledge and everything come together to make a decision. And so we begin with the heart's ambition. In verse 1 it says, O Lord of hosts, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallows a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah. 
The heart's ambition, ambition number one, is to enjoy the presence of God. To enjoy the presence of God. In verse 1, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. If you have the King James, it says how amiable. How amiable. It's nice to be there. There is this welcome sense, this sweetness to be in the presence of God. Uh, the psalm, he, he kind of just breaks out in praise for dwelling in the place where God is. He kind of just bursts forth with this, this sense that uh, it's wonderful. And he's having trouble putting it into words. And so he begins to sing and he begins to shout. And, and he's just trying to convey that this is a place I want to be. Uh, he says, in your dwelling place. Now, you are Bible students, and you have probably heard this before, but give me just a moment to explain. There is this thing called the Septuagint, which means the writing of the 70. And what that is, is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so when the Greeks translated the Old Testament into Greek, there were 70 scholars that did this, they took that idea, the dwelling place, and they used the word tabernacle, tented. It's the same idea of in John 1, where it talks about Jesus coming and dwelling with us or tabernacling among us. And so what, what the psalmist is writing here, he's saying, this is so wonderful to have a tent with you, to tabernacle, to be in your dwelling place, to be in your tent. And of course, to those listeners in this time period, they would immediately reference the tabernacle that was pitched and built for them as they wandered in the wilderness. And then their minds would draw to the temple later on that Solomon would build for them. And so they, they are picturing a place. But the psalmist is praising the dwelling, not because of the dwelling, but because God is there. He is thrilled and excited because God is there. He is tabernacling among us. Jesus, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And so David is saying, now I get to tabernacle with God in this place. And I love the way he says this. He says, the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty, the Lord who is the commander. He has this power and this presence about him. Remember in Second Kings chapter 6, when uh, the Syrian army was crowding around Elisha, and Elisha walked out and kind of yawned and said, this is going to be, everything's going to be okay. And the servant said, what are you talking about? We're surrounded by this army. And it was Elisha who prayed, Lord, open his eyes to your hosts. And then the servant's eyes were opened and he saw the hosts that were there to protect them, the hosts of God's army. He is the commander-in-chief. He is the one that has this, this army at his disposal. And I want to be in his presence. I want to be with him because when I am with him, I feel safe, I feel secure, and I, I'm able to, to just rejoice in that reality that I am safe in his place. Verse 2, he continues kind of this, this graphic expression. He says, my soul longs. He says, yes, my soul faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to, living God, to the living God. Longs, faints, sings. This is visceral. It's not skin deep. <laughs> I mean, it goes so far in. It is, goes into his heart and into his will, and into his knowledge, and then he allows it to just explode onto the pages of Scripture. Now, there are two ideas here. First is he's longing because he has been away for so long. And there is the other thought, well, he has literally just turned and walked away and left the temple, and even in those few moments, he wants to get back. 
So either way you look at it, there is this longing to get back to where he needs to be and wants to be. He desires. And again, we, we, we talked about the Septuagint, the LXS, the, the writing of the 70s, uh, and what they did with this uh, longing. If you remember in 1 Timothy 2, it talks about as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, they long for it. That's what this longing is like. like. Like the baby desiring milk, he's longing to be in that place again, to find nourishment, to find what he needs. Now part of the reason why I think David wrote this is because this fits into his life. Because think about David. Remember he was in the court of Saul and he played for Saul to calm his spirit. And then Saul became jealous of him because of what people were saying, that he's the next king. And Saul throws the spear at David, and David flees, and he had to hide. So it fits, doesn't it? David having to flee is now longing to get back. Or David with his son Absalom. Remember his son Absalom was right at the gate of the city saying things about his dad and and then mounts an insurrection against his own father. And what does David do? David flees. And he knows what it's like to be separated from the place where God is. And he wants to come back. He wants to be back in that place. He longs for it. He hopes for it. So much longing that he faints. (laughs) He's just exhausted because he just wants it so badly. He said for the courts. uh, The courts, if, if you can picture the tabernacle, remember there was the courtyard, there was the holy place, and there was the holy of holies. And there was kind of this spacious area, not crowded, but spacious for for the access into the presence of where God was dwelling. And he's saying, I want to be in those places. Uh, My heart, my flesh, both sing. My heart, which is strong towards God, my flesh, which is so weak, needs God. He is combining these two things. My desires and my flesh are coming together and saying, this is where we need to be. We need to be in the presence of God. He says, sing for joy to the living God. He couldn't remain silent. He couldn't help but say, this is, this is what I need, what I want, what I crave, what I hope for. It's like a cry. He, he sings for joy. He, he cries out joyfully with his whole being, asking to be in the presence of God. Longing to be in the presence of God. How is your ambition this morning? Are you looking forward to each day encountering the presence of God? Are you hoping to wake up and to be in His presence? To experience that understanding that He is there? You're asleep, he's still there. But do you awake with the consciousness that he is here, that he is with you? Are you celebrating and expressing the joy of the living God being in your presence? Never failing is God. Never failing is God. He says here, he said, my heart and flesh sing for the living God. An ever-flowing spring of presence in our lives. That's what God is. He is the object of our longing. He is the object of our ambition. Are we anxious to enjoy the presence of God? Don't get this vision and think, well, he's attached to a place. 
He's not. He's preoccupied with God. And he just knows for sure that in that place, that's where God is, and he can experience it in a different kind of way. Uh, It's not a building for escape. He's not looking for that. Uh, It's not a building that can contain God. You know, God in Isaiah 66 talks about, you know, the the heavens and the earth. He's made them all, so how can you even contain him? So it's not about a building. It's about God himself. The psalmist loves the temple of God. The psalmist loves the temple of God because of the presence of God. He can enjoy the presence of God. Now, remember the temple stuff? Remember the temple, the Old Testament, all of that was pointing to whom? Jesus, right? So David does not have our 21st century eyes. David does not have our 21st century eyes. Certainly in faith he understands there is something coming, but he does not have the conclusions that we have. Because remember on the cross when Jesus died, what happened to the veil? The veil was ripped in the temple And the Holy of Holies was exposed because no longer do you need the the high priest to do it for you. Jesus does it for you. So all of what David is talking about here, we experience through Jesus Christ. Uh, Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he talks about our bodies are the temple of God. So we bring the presence of God with us wherever we are. We experience what it is that David is talking about because we have Christ in our lives. We are drawn near to God because of what Jesus does for us. The psalmist has this understanding of place, but we have a fuller understanding of person, Jesus Christ, in our lives and in our hearts. The heart's ambition is to enjoy the presence of God. In verses 3 and 4, it says, The heart's ambition is to experience the hospitality of God. It says, Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah. Do you see what's happening here? David sees hospitality for these birds, and he's envious of them. He's envious of them because the sparrow and the swallow enjoy a place in in, in the house of God, and David is envious of that. Uh, remember the sparrows, they were sold in the marketplace for food. Uh, Jesus talked about a sparrow as something of minimal value. They're small. And, and think about the swallow. It has a nest. It's found a comfortable, snug home. And David is envious of them because of the location, because they are in the presence of God all the time. They are in the house of God, in the presence of God. He envied them both both because they were so close to what it is what God was doing. He envied them both, not for who they were. They're swallows and sparrows. They are not significant. But their significance becomes important to David because of where they are. They are experiencing the hospitality of God, and that's what David wants. He wants to be in God's presence Look at the terms that they use. They they use the idea of nesting, the idea of finding a home, a place of hospitality. That's what David wants. David wants to be able to rest in the presence of God and to experience the hospitality of God in that kind of way. There is a significance here for if there is tender hospitality of God to the birds, 
Imagine how much attention He pays to you. The hospitality of God is yours. Remember, we have come into the presence of God because of Christ, and He has hospitably received us. He has said you are welcome to be here. Enjoy the presence of God. Experience the hospitality of God. In verse 3, he says, At your altar, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. One of the things I love about the Psalms is the Psalms never minimize who God is to make me feel like I ought to be his buddy. It never happens. Instead, the psalmist always reminds me that there is this incredible, marvelous, awesome God who wants you to be in his presence, who wants you to experience his hospitality. It is a marvelous thing to to have buddies and friends, but it is also a marvelous thing to have those that have the power, to be able to take care of the things that I have need of. The hospitality of God is real. Uh, David was an exile away from God, and he still says, my king, my God. He still loves God and wants to be in his presence. Verse 4 reads like this, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praises. Ever singing your praises. Uh, God is the object here. And he moves from uh, the animal kingdom, the birds, and he moves to those who are in the presence of God. Uh, Those that are in the presence of God are those workers in the temple, the priests and other servants who worked in there. He said, blessed are they. You see, with the hospitality of God comes blessing, and, and, and the blessing is contentment. They are happy to be there. They are happy who live and dwell in the presence of God. They experience the hospitality of God. And there is something about being in his presence that allows them to be able to enjoy and to be happy. I don't know about you, but when I was a little kid, I, I used to go places. My mom was a single mom, and in the summer, she would uh, go to school to work on her master's degree and later her Ph.D. And so my summers were spent in a place called Kentucky with my aunts and uncles. My grandmother was also there, and I spent time with her. And my one grandmother, uh, she had two sisters that lived in a house across the railroad tracks. Uh, literally, there was no driveway. You had to park the car, and then walk across the railroad tracks and go kind of down into a little valley, and there was their house. Well, I was new to it, and I had no idea what to expect. I was a little nervous, as you can imagine. And so I go there, and we're eating, and all of a sudden I hear this sound of the train, which was terrifying. I'd never heard a train before. I'm a suburban guy. I've always lived in suburbia, and there are no trains right through the middle of suburban Ohio. And so there I am in Kentucky in this train, and my aunt's, And my grandmother, they're living together. They come to me at the table and say, it's okay. It's going to be okay. We're not going anywhere. We're staying here. We're not going to leave you. We're going to be with you. It was a great comfort, right? And my time there passed by without incident. Even at night when the train came through, I didn't care because they're there with me. They're not leaving. They're not going anywhere. I can figure it out as a result of their kindness, their love, their presence. And that's what David is saying. David is saying these guys are in the presence of God all the time, and no matter what it is that happens that might surprise them, whatever it is that's coming, it's going to be fine because God is there. God is caring for you in your house. Spurgeon said this, to come and go is refreshing, 
but to abide in the place of prayer must be heaven below. The ambition of the psalmist is easily understood. He's realizing the presence of God. He has an ambitious heart that is hungry to be in the presence of God. And he understands the things that are there for him. The heart. The heart's ambition. Uh, Please uh, go with me to verses 5 through 8 where we will see the heart's approach. I am anxious and ambitious to get into the presence of God. And once I'm in the presence of God, what should be my approach? Well, there are three approaches. Look at verse 5 through 8. It says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. The heart's approach. First of all, he looked within. He looked at his heart. Uh, You see, the pilgrimage or the traveler is demonstrating faith already. And this is a blessed journey. That's what he says. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Everyone's heart is a road map. And this heart finds its strength in God. Now, think about uh, Abraham and Lot. Remember Abraham and Lot? They were together. And what happened? They had so many uh, livestock, so much livestock that they had to split. And so they go up on a hill, and Abraham says to Lot, take a look. Abraham takes a look, and Lot takes a look and chooses the land that's closest to Sodom and Gomorrah. He did not understand how the closeness of that would lead him in the direction that it did. And soon Lot left his herds and moved into Sodom and Gomorrah. His heart led him to that place. Abraham's heart led him to follow what it is that God wanted for him. Uh, Your heart is blessed when it is strengthened in God. That's what he says. And there is a humility that is required to praise God. Humility is required to praise God. Remember David and Goliath? Goliath was making great boasts, causing the people of Israel to cower in his presence because he was so big and so loud. And then David, when he shows up, what does he say? He said, the Lord will deliver me. He doesn't say, you should see how I can shoot my sling. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, all I need are three other guys, and I can take this guy. Instead, he immediately goes to, the Lord will deliver me. David comes in the name of the Lord, and the Lord takes care of him. Blessed is the man whose strength is in God. Strength is in God. David understands that. Paul understood that, didn't he? In 2 Corinthians, what did Paul say? God, your grace is sufficient for me. Now this is the Apostle Paul, who is uh, the apostle of all apostles, the Hebrew of all Hebrews, the smartest of all smarts. But he says, no, it's all about the grace of God in me, the humility to come into the presence of God face all we need through the power of God. A humility that says, God, you can take care of me. How is your heart this morning? Take a look at your heart this morning. The psalmist says, it is blessed, blessed is the man whose strength is in you. Are you depending upon what God can do for you? 
Notice what it says. It says, whose hearts are a highway to Zion. A highway to Zion. That's what the Israelites wanted. The Hebrews wanted to get to Zion. It didn't matter where they were at any time. They wanted to get to Zion. They wanted to get to that place where God is. To experience uh, that what God is. Now please be very careful in evaluating what is happening in this psalm. It is not about escapism. It is not saying, okay, I am going to get to heaven, so I'm going to escape one day. That's not it. It is, I can be strong in what it is that God gives to me, because until he has me in heaven, he has a purpose for me. My wife and I traveled to Israel with a group from our school, and when we were there, we met a guy, and the guy had a tremendous understanding of calling, of calling. He was unwavering in his commitment for what he was doing in spite of the setbacks because he believed that he was called of God. You say, well, how do I know I'm called of God? Because you're still here. (laughs) Because you're still here. When God is done with you, he then will take you to heaven. So you need to understand that we aren't looking to say, oh, I can hardly wait to Zion. Uh, No, I'm here and I'm getting to go to Zion, but as long as I'm here, I'm going to trust in what God can do. Look at your heart. How is your heart this morning? Uh, There is an old song that we used to sing in Sunday school. It was the wordless book. You remember the wordless book? It was Francis Johnson who wrote it. It says, my heart was black with sin until the Savior came in. Remember they would hold up the black piece piece of flannel? And then they would would say, his precious blood I know, and they would hold up the, the red piece of flannel. And then they would, they would say, has washed me white as snow, and they hold the white panel. This morning, have you experienced the washing of your heart through the blood of Jesus Christ that allows you to take, my heart is resting and trusting in what God does. The psalmist reminds us, blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose hearts are a highway to Zion. There is a pilgrimage, a traveling that we are all involved in doing. We are all on a path. Look at your heart. What is the direction of your heart? One of the books that I have read and I love is Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress does this for us in a very vivid way. You remember in Pilgrim's Progress, he takes us through the sloth of despair. He takes us through Bypath Meadow. He allows us to encounter individuals like uh, obstinate and pliable, reminding us constantly that we are pilgrims on a path and that we need to have our hearts strengthened by what it is that God does. We sometimes, as pilgrims, get caught up in the things that are a part of our travel. That are a part of our travel. Now, I am not a runner. I have seen runners... And I watched a marathon. And one of the first times I watched a marathon, I was shocked. Because there were people that were along the way that were holding out cups of water for these people. And these runners ran past. Some of them would grab and spill the cup. Some would hit the cup out of the way because of their running motion. Others would take it and gulp it and throw it to the side. How rude. These people have taken the time to pour them a cup of water in a moment when they are so in need of a drink of water. 
And how do they treat them? They don't stop and say, oh, thank you so much for that cup of water. This was the perfect time. I was, I was hitting that 20, what's a marathon? Um, uh, 26.2. I'm hitting that 26 mile, point two, this water will get me through, thank you, can I give you a hug? Why don't they do that? Because they have their mind set on the goal. And what is the goal? The finish. And too many times as we run our marathon of life, we stop when we shouldn't. We need to keep running and keep pursuing. Like David says here, we pursue this. And look what happens when you continue on this run. First of all, uh, the, 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 the heart, we look within to see our heart. Then we look around at God's blessing. Okay, You're running your marathon. You're doing your work. You're on your way. You look around at God's blessing. It says, on their pilgrimage, they are strengthened by God's blessing. Look at what happens in verse 6. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rains also cover it with pools. Water is, is life to those in Israel. So when those in Israel have read this chapter, they understand water is life. When you go to Israel, you will, be, you will come away with an impression Boy, water is important because they have cisterns, they have pools, they have all kinds of things to collect water, to save water. Water is life. And what happens is David says, even when you travel through the valley of Baca, which is a dry, arid place, you dig in the sand and what happens? Springs come. Springs come. And what he's telling us is even in the hard times, even in the difficult times, what does God do? He benefits us with these blessings of water. So instead of having to stop along the way to get into things you probably shouldn't do that keeps you from running your race, God brings blessing to you to get you through. This morning, what is your blessing? What is your spring? We know physically sometimes what our spring is. Uh, you, You mow grass. And you come in and you're all hot and sweaty and you get into the shower and you get a cold shower. Or you stay outside and use the, the hose, the sprinkler, whatever. So physically you've experienced that. Have you understood what it is like to experience it in your heart? God providing water for you that waters your heart, that waters your soul, that refreshes you. Uh, does it come through a message that Pastor Zach preaches? because he preaches the Word of God and he allows the rain of the Word to fall on you? Does it come as a result of a faithful friend, a faithful follower of Christ that comes alongside of you and just is just there for you to water that barren moment? Is it a a, a teaching from a hymn that is sung or a song that you hear? Make sure that you understand that the blessings that he's talking about are all rooted in in what it is that God will do with his word. You see, sometimes what happens is a cup of water or a bucket of water comes to you, but it comes from someone and from a source that is not good. And you need to be discerning and say, I don't want your water. I want the water of life that God provides for me. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. They go from strength to strength. The closer they get, the more the pull. Far from being wearied, they begin to gain strength. Because as they pass through this arid, difficult time, God brings blessing to get you through to where you need to be. Strength to strength, the blessing comes. 
This morning, some of you are not looking forward to see God, are you? Some of you are nervous when we use these kinds of words and this kind of language. You think, yeah, I'm just not ready for that. Get ready by understanding that God wants you in his presence. That God has offered you his son to allow you to come into his presence. Take the gift of salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. Now, notice what happens from verse 7, from verse 6 into verse uh, 7. It says, as they, and then in verse 7 it says, uh, they go from strength to strength, each one appears before God. And in verse 8, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer, give ear, O God of Jacob. He goes from the plural of they to the singular of my. And what he's doing here is not saying, I'm all alone now in this. Instead, he is just uh, reminding himself and us that there is this need for a personal connection with God. We cannot ride the coattails of our families. We cannot ride the coattails of our church. We cannot ride the coattails of anyone else into the presence of God. We must understand that it is our submitting to what Christ did on the cross that makes that connection to God. I was, I was looking on the board out here uh, earlier with my wife, the pictures of all of you. You're very photogenic, by the way, just, just so you know. And when I was looking, I noticed that if you're a Yoder or a McGill, you're good. <laughs> right? If, if you, they're, they almost have an entire line. They almost have an entire line. That's not the case in heaven. As we pursue who God is, we must remember that it is what we have done individually with God to get into his presence. Uh, David is trying to create this ambitiousness. You want to enjoy the presence of God. You want to experience the hospitality of God. And he's trying to draw us into that. And then he, he gives us the approach. He says, look within, look around, look ahead. And then you, you see what happens after verse 8? You see the, the word selah? That's not just an add-on. That's intentional. Selah, I think we've talked about this before, selah is about a rest. It's about David saying, okay, listen, I've said all I can, now let the music play. Or I've said all that I can, now let it catch up to you, what it is that God can do and what God has available for you. The best place is God's place. The best place is to be watered so wonderfully and marvelously, to be refreshed, God's presence. God's presence. Are you there today? Are you in his presence? Are you enjoying what it is that David talks about? I shared this with you uh, the last time I was here. I, I, uh, well, not the last time, but the time before. I did a, I did a communion and I shared with you that my mother had passed away. And many of you sent texts and said such gracious things, and, and I appreciate that so much. Uh, my mom meant uh, a great deal to me, as you can imagine. Today, my wife and I are going to her house because we have sold it. And we're going to her house to finally clean out kind of a couple of things that remain. Uh, she's got a cat. Anyone want a cat, you can have it. Uh, I'm not picking that up uh, unless I have a bag and a brick. But that's another story. <laughs> that's a whole other story. I'm just not a cat person. Please, please, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend anyone. I love cats. 
They taste like chicken. That's what I've heard. Uh, so, but, so I, I'm sorry. It, th- there is a cat that, if you want it, I'm sorry. How did we get off on cats? See how you guys are? I feel too comfortable here. Uh, and I apologize for that. So anyway, so we're going to go there. And when we go there, my mom's not going to be there. It will be a shell. And there will be no draw for me except my sisters told me to go and get that stuff out of the house. That's the only reason I'm going there. The old days, I used to go there, not because it's a beautiful house, because she was there. And I loved going there. This morning, please understand, that's what David's talking about. Don't love the place. Love the person. Be drawn by God into his presence. Be drawn into the place to experience the best place. Let's pray. Father, you are a good God, and we love you, and we want so much for our hearts to be like David's. We want our ambition to be the presence of God. We want our approach to lead us to the presence of God. Father, we are dependent upon you to use your word and your spirit to deliver us to where we need to be. In Jesus' name, amen.